0: Week 67 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast. You know, maybe the president shouldn't do long-form interviews anymore. I don't know. (laughs) Just a note to his new campaign manager. Let's start the show.
1: We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity.
2: You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time.
0: If you didn't see that Chris Wallace Fox News Sunday interview with Donald Trump, go watch it, and if you're a journalist who, by chance, gets to question this president, study it a little bit, because Wallace pushed back without being a jerk, and I thought he did a pretty good job, uh, frankly. it uh, It shows that the president is just living in his own reality. And that his staffers have just allowed him to exist in this alternate universe where up is, you know, down and down is up. And he's doing great in the polls. You know, I I have been saying for weeks now, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, if the president has a poll that shows him up, he should release it. He should release it with all the methodology and all of the crosstabs. Don't give me some, you know, cherry pick number from a poll. I think if you're going to release a poll, you need to release the entire poll. And if you're not willing to release the entire poll, then I don't believe anything you're showing me. Um, but if he's got these numbers that show him up, he says he's up in every swing state comfortably, is what he said in that uh, Chris Wallace interview yesterday. He should release them. I mean, just like he showed the phony chart that showed him showed the death rate in this country actually being good, but you know, leaves out half the countries in the world. I mean, our death rate is higher than Brazil. It is higher than Russia. It's Our COVID-19 problem is dramatic. We lead the world in cases. Um, and our caseload is growing every single day in this country. We, we thought we peaked in early April. Unfortunately, that's not the case. We are peaking now in July. Maybe not even peaking. Maybe it's still climbing. It hasn't plateaued yet. And now they want us to go back to school, and we all know what's going to happen. And the governor of Indiana let the cat out of the bag, right? He said the kids will go back to school. They won't get sick, and but they will get COVID. Okay, we know if you get COVID, you're going to transmit COVID. So the kids won't might not get sick. Some of them might but they might not get sick, but they're going to bring it home to their parents and their grandparents and their extended families and anybody they interact with on their way to and from school. And of course the teachers in the school are going to just get it anyway then, right? So we're just sentencing them to death. Thank you for getting this job, teaching our children. We really don't care if you live or die. That's the message of Republican party right now. Okay. I just want to point this out because I know here where I live on long Island, there are a lot of teachers who think they're Republicans and think that the Republican party stands for them. The Republican Party right now stands for they don't care if you live or die if you're a teacher. I want that to be very clear to you. And if you've got a friend, if you're on this, if, you, you know, if, if, if you've got a friend who is a conservative teacher, a teacher who votes Republican, the message to that teacher is they want you to go back to school, no safety requirements, no CDC guidelines. We don't care if you live or die. That's their message. So, if you're one of those teachers living a false paradox that think the Republican Party's for you, because here on Long Island, teachers do pretty well. Uh, I don't think they're paid enough, quite frankly, the job they do, but they do okay here. It's not like in Florida or Indiana where these governors are forcing teachers back to school and they're not paid enough. You know, there, there are too many people, I feel, in public sector unions and teachers are a public sector union that vote Republican. And they don't even realize that if the Republican parties had their way, if conservative leadership had their way, they wouldn't allow you to organize. Just keep that in mind. The Governor of Indiana knows that if the schools open... Cases of COVID-19 will rise. That all the kids will get them. And if all the kids are going to get COVID-19. Then aren't all the teachers going to get COVID-19? And aren't a lot of the teachers over the age of 50. And at higher risk? Uh, What's your plan governor? What's your plan Mr. President? I know I went over this last week. And I know I'm rambling. But let me get back to that interview. I mean this is the portrait of a president. Who is out of touch with reality. At a time. When reality is hitting home for millions of Americans who have been impacted by COVID-19, whether or not they got it or not, they know somebody, they lost their job over it. The economy is spiraling out of control in this country. And if you watch that interview, it's of a man who just doesn't know. And And he wants to paint Joe Biden as the candidate that is out of touch with reality. He wants to paint Joe Biden. As somebody who is just not in control of his faculties, uh, America—it's—it's it's just hilarious to me. This, you know, if the president wants to know why voters over the age of sixty-five aren't coming to his side in numbers like they used to, it's because one, he doesn't care if they live or die. I mean, COVID nineteen is a classic example. Florida opening up way too soon and now having ridiculously high. Uh, numbers of COVID-19 infections clearly is an example of how Republicans just don't know how to govern and, you know, don't really care about their constituents and 65 years and older, you know, those are pretty reliable voters and now they're running away from the president in droves. But it is also like their campaign strategy is to not really have anything to say other than their opponent is too old to be president. Now, I get it, Mr. President. You dye your hair and comb it over horribly. I mean, it's ridiculous. And you have a spray tan. And your wife is 40 years younger than you, I guess. I don't know, 30 years younger than you. I I don't know what the difference is. 25 years? I get it that you think that that makes you young. It doesn't. You're still only two years younger than Joe Biden. Get over yourself. And I am 100% sure that if the two of you had to run laps, you would drop first. Just saying, just saying, just by looking at you. So yes, you dye your hair. Yes, you have a spray tan. Yes, you have a wife that is ridiculously younger than you are. And no, that doesn't make you young, Mr. President. doesn't make you, you know, watching that interview where you're flailing all over the place, asking for the charter, trying to say that Joe Biden supports defunding police, and you call for the charter, and the charter actually shows... That they want more money for policing, but they want to find out ways so that the police aren't um, overly targeting people of color and that situations that require maybe a social worker and not a cop are being handled by social workers. I think even police would like that plan, frankly. Just saying. You call for the charter and there's stuff that, you know, you're saying there's things in the charter that aren't there. Now, maybe you should have read the charter before you started quoting the charter. And instead of getting your information from Rosh Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Steve Doocy, um, you know, maybe then you would know what's in the charter. Instead, you're floating conspiracy theories about the charter, just like you float conspiracy theories about COVID-19, how you think that testing is leading to more cases, which is ridiculous. Let's look at our infection rate in the ca- in the testing, and then we'll know for sure, right? Crazy. He's insane. Well, speaking about fact-checking the president, I have a guy whose job it is to fact-check the president uh, joining me today. John Avalon from CNN. Uh, He's an author. He's been on CNN for years, used to be the managing editor of the Daily Beast. He's a great guy, great interview. Uh, And then after that, I've got a friend of mine, Joe Tex, who runs a small business uh, to talk about how things have been going for them. Uh, through this trying time so stick around I've got some great interviews and then I'll be back afterwards to wrap it up I also want to talk to you on the other side of this about my experience talking to conservatives uh, on the radio because I've recently you've probably heard I've been doing a lot of work on WABC in New York 770 one of the original conservative talk radio stations in America Uh, they have given me my own show my own platform there recently to talk about things I've been, been, been filling in for the last couple of weeks
2: Uh, And I've been taking a lot of calls, and it's really interesting. So stick around. I'll be right back. The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify.
4: I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing that the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on
1: the Car Pro Show. Mm.
4: He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere.
2: Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com.
0: I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up just as the year is winding down. Stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download The Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me now, somebody I've been trying to get on the show for a while. I've I've been talking to him for years. I've I've, uh, interviewed his wife many times on this show. John Avalon is a correspondent on CNN. He's actually taken on the role as Trump fact checker, or I guess just fact checker, but the guy who you got to check the most is Donald Trump. John, how you doing?
3: I'm doing all right. It's good to talk to you, Chris.
0: So tell me, uh, you've got your hands full in this fact checker role that you've kind of adopted over there. Uh, We've all watched your segments on CNN over the last couple of months uh, where you're basically called upon to correct the record on numerous occasions on this man. And I think like during these debates, there should be a fact checking window open at all times on every screen on every network.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, this presidency demands not just fact checking, but reality checks, which is what uh, is the title of our segment. And, you know, what I do um, usually every day on the morning show, New Day, is uh, pick a pick an angle where we really need to cut through the spin and the noise and the lies. And and it's kind of a fact check plus, in fact, because I try to bring history and humor and perspective. Um. But but it's it's something we've had a phenomenal response to on air online and it's really needed. I mean, the Washington Post just counted Trump, you know, passing twenty thousand lives. Amazing. To get for twenty thousand lives, but I think probably, um, you know, <laughs> the the uh, eternal regret uh, of, uh, of of American history, I
0: imagine. And you're a big history scholar. I know you've written about history over the years. Um, I mean. I don't know how history is going to look at this era. I I don't know that we can well, just. I got a pretty good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we can't just blame him. I mean, there are a lot of people around him enabling him. Um, I I mean, I, I hope to God that this era is coming to an end in January. But, I uh, you know, I, again, I'm uh, one of those people who uh, don't like to count his chickens before they hatch.
3: Well, no, I mean, look, I mean, I I think that. Um, Anyone who still thinks their vote doesn't matter, anybody who thinks that an election is a foregone conclusion before all the votes are counted on Election Day paying attention. I mean, we're dealing with tsunamis of disinformation and misinformation, Um, and um, it's a very high-stakes election. What we do know by, you know, I wrote a book on George Washington's Farewell Address. I wrote a book on Abraham Lincoln and his vision of winning the peace. Um. What we're dealing with in this president will not be judged kindly by history, if only because it's a it's a serious test to a precept that many of us hold dear, which is the idea that character is destiny. Yeah. And everyone who's been in the office says character is the indispensable quality, and that's not um, that's not what Donald Trump's about. Yeah. Um, and and the facts are bad, and for those of us who covered the administration or, or run reporters and newsrooms covering the administration as I, I did from the day it launched um, when I was editor of the Daily Beast for five years. it uh, it, is, it is something that the stuff that doesn't get reported is even worse than what gets reported. Yeah. I don't know that that's fully appreciated by folks, but um, history is not going to be kind to this particular era. But to your point, um, uh, Trump is a symptom It's not a cause. Yeah. I think we all need to take responsibility to look a little bit deeper um, uh, and then start to really think about how we can reunite the nation because God knows we need it.
0: I've been having soul-searching moments myself. I mean, I've been a pundit, you know, for 10 years. I've been going on TV and mixing it up. Um, And I wonder if I've contributed to this. Uh, and I try. I try my best to tell the truth whenever I'm on. And I know that's the, that's the, something you do as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, it's just uh, we all have a lot of soul searching to do about how this came to be and, and our roles big and small uh, within it. Uh, you know, as you are are called upon to look at some of the facts now earlier in the week when he had that rambling press conference. I don't even know if you want to call it a press conference. It
3: was like a political
0: rally in the Rose Garden.
3: Yeah, that's that's probably a more accurate way of characterizing.
0: Yeah, I mean it full of lies, but there was one thing he threw out there other than his China policy. But now the C D C will not be getting data from the hospitals. The hospitals will be sending data to the White House. Now are you particularly concerned about that decision? Because I know I am.
3: <laughs> I mean If you're not concerned, you're not paying attention. Right. Um, I mean, this administration has has not shown a fidelity to facts or science or transparency. And so whenever they try to control information, (laughs) um, you should walk in with an inherent skepticism that it will be accurately communicated um, to the American people. Um, We've seen very often they try, and in fact a judge today just struck down one of their... um, attempts at deregulation, because the the process they needed to go through, the judge said, well, you know, you, you had the conclusion, then you tried to make the science fit the facts you wanted to, you know, the outcome you wanted. Right. Perfect summation of, uh, of, of a certain worldview. So, of course, look, you know, America first wasn't supposed to be about COVID death. Right. First in the world. Right. And it's utterly... Um, this is a, a great national tragedy. We've lost more Americans than died in foreign wars in the twentieth century. Yep. But um, this is not. This was not inevitable. This is a result of of choices and mistakes, catastrophic ones, and really denial uh, that came from the president on down at the outset of this pandemic, and, um, and 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 we're living through the results in real time, and it's devastating.
0: Is there anything that we can turn to? Four good statistics on COVID now that the president is trying to control this. Is there anything we can do
3: to stop him? Look, I think Johns Hopkins, um, you know, their switchboard, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not they try to sit on the information, whether they have exclusive control. Um, I mean, you know, the problem is there are a lot of different metrics. Right. It's very hard to hide deaths, but that doesn't mean some people don't try. I mean, Florida for a time— was saying that if you died in Florida, but you weren't a Florida resident, you wouldn't be counted as a death yeah. uh, under COVID, which is, if you think about it for three seconds, is completely insane. Yeah,
0: especially given, you know, we're New Yorkers, and we know lots of people who live there part-time.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it's one of the, you know, <laughs> normally deaths are difficult to hide, but they found a way to do it. Congratulations. Um, but but this is a very serious moment i mean the amount of suffering the amount of grieving that's occurring without the ability to find closure yeah with loved ones with memorial services um i just found out earlier tonight that a, a dear friend and colleague former colleague uh, chris dickey died he's out of a heart attack not covid he was oh. a legendary foreign correspondent he was really one of the very 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 best in our profession uh he was a mentor and a writer and an editor um beyond compare yeah and uh And, you know, one of the sad things about digesting the news of his sudden death um, is that, you know, there won't be the memorial service he deserves.
0: Right. It's, It's like, you know, I think America has to stop and take a breath on this and understand that all of these things that we can't do, that we would normally do, graduations, memorial services, funerals, parties, it's all because of the administration failing us on this virus.
3: Yeah, it's because of the virus. Right. Um, you know, it, it, the the impact of the virus has been compounded by the mismanagement of the administration um, from the beginning because of the president's um, desire to avoid, to, to be in denial and to not deal with it. I mean, he still says, and I've done several reality checks about COVID, my gosh, more than a dozen, but very early on we were focused on not just giving people the history of how America overcame past pandemics, the lessons, what we weren't doing. But you know, this line he repeats we wouldn't have so many, you know, cases if, yeah. we, if we didn't if we if we didn't have so much testing.
0: It's pure denial. All right. This president who is still denying uh the science of COVID nineteen, he still keeps saying that if we weren't testing, we wouldn't have as many cases, which is like the most ridiculous thing I've heard a president say until I, and I'll get to what his press secretary said earlier today. But uh, I mean, you know, John, I mean, you've been, you've covered a lot of presidents. You've studied presidents. I, I mean, has there ever been a president more disconnected from reality?
3: Um, No. Um, uh, no. Uh, you know, there, there are certain... Qualities. I mean, presidents tend to remake the office to some extent in their own image, and usually it's a measure of their relative strengths and weaknesses. Um, but, you know, in, in the race to the bottom of people judged as the worst presidents in history, one quality um, does seem decisive in history's judgment, which is the character of the man in the office. Right. And um, we've never had somebody lie as much. We've never had somebody show as much disregard for um, the realities of governing, of science. Um, we've, You know, Nixon had redeeming qualities. He was very smart. He had a, a geopolitical vision. He had a sense of history. He had a sense of politics. He had a, a sense of responsibility that was misplaced and ultimately consumed by his own personal demons. Andrew Johnson is the president. I think Trump most uh, resembles. In terms of his temperament, yeah. Um, and I wrote a piece the other day uh, for CNN called uh, "Trump Is the Anti-Lincoln," drawing on some of the research from my upcoming book. Mm. There's one quote from the Atlantic when Andrew Johnson was president, right before he became the first impeached president, and and it, it speaks of someone who is egotistical and brittle and vain and erratic, and um, and and it's it's sort of a cut and paste type quality.
0: Probably, you know. Sticking to Johnson for a second, probably part of the reason why our politics is so divisive still to this day is Johnson quickly ending, you know, working to end Reconstruction. Yeah,
3: I mean, there are a whole host of things that can be laid at Andrew Johnson's feet. I mean, he did Reconstruction almost perfectly wrong. Lincoln had a uh, a very clear vision of how to win the peace, a vision of national reconciliation and reunification that he never got to implement, right. which is the subject of the book I'm writing right now. Um but Johnson d- did it perfectly wrong. Um, you know, he, he let the South backslide on, on segregation and white supremacy. He was uh, bigoted, even though uh, some of the radicals originally thought he would be an ally of theirs. Um, uh, he, he let Confederate generals retake positions of power almost immediately.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: he vetoed the Civil Rights Act. And notably, you know, if you look at some of the language of the vetoes, and he was incredibly erratic and, 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 and bitter and vindictive and, 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 and had a very needy ego, but when he was vetoing the Civil Rights Act, um, it, you know, he used language that is so... You, you, you hear echoes of today. Saying, yeah. Oh, we can't do this because we'll be giving, Af- you know, the freed slaves, the African Americans, uh, special rights, and we shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, it, it's very striking. It's the reason why studying history is so important to get clarity on the debates of our own time, if you're feeling confused and overwhelmed, history can help clarify.
0: And when you see that, though, right? You see that bitterness... That thin-skinned, that neediness, which is clearly there in Donald Trump, I ask myself this question over. I mean, I worked in government. I worked, uh, yeah, obviously, I worked for Senator Schumer. I, I, you know, my wife's a elected official. I, I've never seen somebody reach that pinnacle. You know, you would never think that somebody would reach that pinnacle of success, and still have that neediness, that thin-skinned nature. And you, Trump is not the first person to have it. Might be the worst, but he's not the first person to have it. I mean. I, I, can you explain how somebody could reach that level and still be that way?
3: There's something that's just broken inside of them. You know, wherever you go, there you are, right? Right. As, as, um, as, as a great philosopher Buckaroo Banzai once said. Yeah. And, and you know, you, which is why you need to work on being an integrated personality and why reconciling leaders like Lincoln and, and Dr. Martin Luther King are so important who can bring people together and overcome great divides, drawing on our history, um, and they all involve qualities uh, of a soul-searching nature. They require empathy, uh, the ability to empathize even with your enemies, which you can't do um, if, if you see everything through a prism of wounded self-interest. I mean, so many of the stereotypes, I'm doing a column on this, um, so many of the stereotypes directed uh, by the right at the left, Donald Trump uh, embodies. Yeah. He loves playing the victim. He's incredibly thin-skinned. He's easily, easily triggered. Um, He, you know, uh, you know, is constantly railing a dick against democratic norms. I mean, he he is an avatar of identity politics. Just happens to be white identity politics. Yeah, he's also
0: the kind of guy who wants a uh, participation th- trophy for everything. He, you know, I did this, I did that. You know, give me a participation trophy. His whole campaign right now, in my opinion, is a participation trophy. Remember the economy we had before February. I mean that's his campaign, uh, which is I, I don't know how that resonates with people who are out of work right now. You know, remember what it used to be like before I screwed it up.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, there's there's not strategy, there's impulse. I mean, negative yeah. partisanship has been the glue that's held together the coalition. And I think if you look, and what we've learned is is that you know Trump's strong support number fluctuates between twenty four and 33 percent yeah um, and his strong opposed number is roughly uh, twice that
1: yeah um, it's 50 today <laughs>
3: yeah and, and and so what what it shows you though is that you know that 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 percent is, is is really hardcore would likely be unswayed from any facts but he's kind of down to that right that level and and there's a lot we're gonna have to learn from this era but you know the thing is that healing the the the, the, the situation we're in as a country um, as, as, as it's, it's more than just a political problem It's about culture, it's about economics But it's going to take policy It's going to take us lifting up an, an example of, of policies that can unify, not divide us and Not be driven solely by partisan politics or ideology But really just trying to reunite as a nation again Growing our middle class again uh, Teaching civics education again Things that are not necessarily obvious Antidotes to the mess we're in right now But that are vitally important Uh, to climbing back out of this stronger and wiser as a result of what we've experienced.
0: And that's, uh, you know, and we could take lessons from history on that, too. I know Grant had his problems after Johnson, and then the nation was thrown into a real partisan battle in the election after Grant. So it's a, we are, uh, we are headed.
3: There's a lot of credit for putting the KKK back in the bottle.
0: That's true. That is absolutely true. All right. So, John, we're talking about the complete train wreck mess that is the American political system right now, And there's an election coming up in November and then hopefully a new president in January. And we're going to have to do a lot of work to rebuild trust in the political system, I think, in this country and and really unite the country again. Because, I mean, this president has spent the last four years constantly dividing. I mean, he's, he's done nothing to unify this country. How does the next president start?
3: You know that is the most important question that we have not devoted enough time to. Although I think the you know, presumptive nomination of Joe Biden speaks to an understanding that that's what needs to be done. There was a you know temptation to go you know where are the where is the Democrats Donald Trump um, from a from a uh, play to the base you know demonize and divide kind of way. Yep. Um, but I think the far wiser course is to elect somebody or to nominate somebody. Who can appeal to aspects of Donald Trump's base? Who doesn't? Uh, who a lot of the, uh, the the demonization and negative partisanship just doesn't work on, um, because you know people know Joe. Yeah. Um, and 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 he's got the ability to connect with real credibility with you know middle class Midwesterners, the working class folks, many who voted for Donald Trump. I mean, you know there were 211 pivot counties in the country. He voted twice for Obama Biden, once for. Uh, Donald Trump, the largest of them in in terms of population is Suffolk County. where Yeah. And um, and so that requires a degree of empathy. It requires a degree of being able to connect. And then it requires a approach to the presidency that says, I am not going to simply view this as a victory for party, but a responsibility to reunite the nation. That doesn't mean we're going to negotiate against ourselves uh, at every step. It does mean that we are going to try to build broad coalitions. We're not going to get distracted by the screamers and the haters because they're going to do it anyway. We're going to focus on policies that can reunite the nation, and that means things like building the middle class again. Right. It means things like focusing on civic education again. Um, Because our our problems are are deeper than politics in the same way that Donald Trump is a symptom rather than the cause of our division. And those are deeper, and they need to be healed. Um, But but a, a president needs to really approach the office that way um, by, by asking what are the policies that can, you, that can strengthen the bonds between us and emphasize those um, in, in politics and economics and culture.
0: Mm. Were you surprised looking at the NBC Wall Street Journal poll that came out earlier this week, not by the margin. I mean, Joe, Joe's up by nine in that poll. But what surprised me was how high Joe's negatives were in that poll. I, I was a little shocked by that number I don't know if you read uh, read into it that much
3: what, what were what were the specific negative numbers he
0: he was in the mid 40s of disapproval in that poll uh, similar disapproval not quite as high as Trump Trump's disapproval was like 56 percent uh yeah. and Joe had a higher approval and a higher disapproval than Trump so his net net was a little bit better but I was surprised that his disapproval rose into the 40s that
3: that that poll would seem to be an outlier from what i've seen i also think that you know a lot of times with polls as as you know being around politics you know you got to look at the crosstabs to get a sense of what's really going on yeah i always look at where moderates are where independent voters are yep um and those aren't aren't always uh disaggregated on the top line the reason i mention that is because as i as i sort of alluded to earlier i actually think strong disapproval and strong approval are much more interesting metrics Yes. Approval disapproval. Yes, definitely. Two is kind of meaningless.
0: By, by the way, the, the best number in the cross tabs were people who disapprove of both of them are breaking, still breaking for Joe three to one.
3: Yeah. And so, and, and that's really in some ways how Donald Trump won last time. Is that, yeah. You know, it, it's the, ne- the negative partisan strategy and the people who dislike Hillary and Trump tended to go for Trump. But nowhere near a three to one margin. I mean, it tends to benefit the, the challenger, not the incumbent.
0: It's his biggest problem for reelection, other than COVID nineteen. I mean he he can't drag Joe down enough to overcome that metric right now. I mean I think that's the you know when I when I have hope and I and I do have a lot of hope. I I you know I believe that Joe Biden's going to win. And I think he's going to win big. Um, and I I think that because I see that you can't out negative Joe right now because. People just have this hatred for Donald Trump right now. If there's 56% negative feelings, 60% in polls, uh, 51% in a poll today say they will not under any circumstance vote for the guy.
3: Right. So- and, and by the way, that number's not significantly changed that, you know, strong, strong, disapprove, definitely vote against. That number was almost that high before COVID. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, that's why a lot of people, I think, have been sort of self-protective in predicting a Donald Trump re-election. Um, certainly, the economy is, was a powerful argument yep. for why someone so unpopular who hasn't been able to unite the nation could be reelected. But his fundamental numbers have always been very, very bad, and they reflect the play of the base strategy. He has just not made any effort to reach out and build a broader coalition.
0: I mean, not once. I mean, not once. There has been nothing he's done oh, in his entire. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's like nothing he could. There's nothing he's done ever. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I I know that. You know, I was asked the day after he got election elected, you know, what do, I, what do I have to say for myself or what do I have to say to him? And I said, good luck, Mr. President. You're the president-elect. I wish you well. I hope you do everything you can to unify this country and make us better. And not once did I ever feel as a person who did not vote for him that he was trying to win me over.
3: I, I you know, I wrote an editorial on election night um, when I was running the Daily Beast about, you know. How the Daily Beast will stand up to Donald Trump, but I said, you know, we we will not do what you know Rush Limbaugh did. You know, we we hope you succeed, and 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 we don't hope you fail. Um, but we will call you on if you if you campaign if you govern the way you've campaigned. Right. And and of course he 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 did just that. But no, his numbers are are bad. But it's a matter of reaping what you've sown. But there's a, there's a there's something I think more more deeply dangerous in some respects, which is this is a um, a real, real issue uh, with regards to the decline in trust in American institutions and an almost cynical mm. political strategy that says, well, we'll just burn it all down and yeah. if we can divide to conquer. It doesn't matter. Uh, there, There's a lot riding on this, especially, you know, liberal values, you know, diverse liberal democracies are under attack around the world, and we need to be a leader
1: yep. yeah.
0: And we've definitely abdicated that leadership under this guy for sure, John. I am just about out of time with you. Uh, before I Talk. let you go, is there anything I can plug for you? Where can people find you? What do you want people to know?
3: Watch CNN. Uh, I'm on New Day, uh, the morning show. Uh, I'm a senior political analyst and fill an anchor. Do a Reality Check, which you can see online. And you know, I've written books from Wingnuts to Washington's Farewell to Independent Nation. The deadline artists. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you're so inclined, check them out and I hope you
0: enjoy them. Well, John Avalon, it's always a pleasure. I love your stuff on CNN. Everybody here should be watching New Day every week, especially when John's filling in because it's a great show. And of course, I love when I see you on real time with Bill Maher. It's always fun to that's see always. you there too. John Avalon, thanks for joining me. All right, that's John Avalon. Hang out for Joe Tex.
2: Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you.
4: What do we have here, Doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help. Steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple,
2: Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business.
3: CarPro.com.
2: <laughs>
0: Joe Texera is the principal and one of the owners and founders of Face Off Unlimited, a comedy, I don't know what to call you guys. I mean, you're an improv comedy entertainment company that have done multiple things over the years. I perform with them over the years, but they have done things like writing for robots and, uh, and, and parties, and they have a couple of shows that were very long-running shows. That unfortunately due to COVID 19 have been canceled. They were a million dollar plus a year business that employed, I don't know, what do you employ? Like a hundred people? No, like fifty. Fifty. It's still a big, big group Six. of people. Uh you employed fifty people. Um, you know, you, you were doing doing really well prior to COVID, right? I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, you guys were a a million dollar plus business um employing fifty people very popular shows in New York and in Chicago, and you were working on build, putting shows in other cities prior to this. And COVID has brought it to a grinding halt, right? I mean, there's no other way to put it.
5: Yeah, I mean, and, you've, and you covered just about all of it. You know, right before, you know, this happened, we were really firing on all cylinders. You know, come February, you know, we were jam-packed. We, we had made some changes at the New York City venue and, uh, and increased our seating, and uh, like you said, you know, we were in negotiation looking at uh, Las Vegas and we had our eyes across the pond uh, yep. and you know, 2020 was supposed to be our year. But, yeah. you know, uh, a lot of businesses probably had big plans for 2020 just like us. You know, and know you
0: what? had just moved into a new space in New York, um, right? I mean, it was only about a year old, the new space. Just about a year, yeah,
5: yeah. Uh, we had been on St. Mark's uh, in the East Village for uh, the first eight years of the show in New York, and then we, you know, we were able to eventually. Uh, we were doing well. We were able to get our own space and a dedicated venue just for the show, and you know, it's been hard. You know, the PPP's gone. Yep. You know, what I mean? uh, we're just, and, and you know, Chicago just announced uh, today, I believe. I saw to come through slack from my partner, Eric Robinson, that chicagos they're saying they're not opening uh, back to normal until no phase five, until a vaccine.
1: Wow.
0: So that means there'll be no in-person performances like yours.
5: Well, it's unclear if phase four, you know, a house of under 200, 150. I'm not really sure what their things are going to land on. We may be able to be phase four, but if not, you know, and, and, and all big theater won't. And I don't know if movie theaters are phase five. I'm, I, I mean, I don't have the list in front of me. right? You know, that's the fact. Is, you know, even our New York show. So, you know, we've been working right now. We, you know, we have the PPP. So we were able to hire back a bunch of people uh, from both cities. And our pandemic response team, I want to just take a second to shout them out. They have been crushing it for us, helping us stay afloat as a company. You know, the PPP is great. It, it allowed us to bring people back and it allowed us to, you know, OK, so all of our live shows just went down. Boom. OK, now what do we do? So we created a uh, we had a card game that we had been selling, like a version of our show in a card game. And we sold it at the at the shows. You know, every night we would sell one or two a night. But then when the shows stopped, we were like, oh, my God, we need to like nationalize nationally.
0: You got to get some revenue. You got to find a way to stay afloat.
5: So we created this Kickstarter um, that launched on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, we had a 33-day fundraising goal, that we and we were fully funded in the first 19 minutes. That's awesome. Uh, and, you know, it's been a day. We're already three times uh, funded. So we're feeling really confident and uh, fortunate and excited in a very dark time that, okay, the card game is doing well. Uh, by the way, if anybody wants to pick that up, you can go to com and uh, get your copy of the game. There's no risk now. We've been fully funded. Yeah, it's awesome. So it's, it's just, you know, let me tell you what it is. It's a Japanese game show. It's an improv
0: card game. Well, yeah. I mean, look, we've talked about Batsu on this show before. I don't know if uh, some of my syndicated markets, because I have done Botsu. It is a, an improvisational show, uh, but it's put inside a Japanese game show, and um, there are punishments. Batsu, I guess, means punishment in, J- in Japanese, correct?
5: That's right. That's, that's absolutely. B-A-T-S-U, Batsu, means penalty or punishment. And so we have master improvisers competing and getting punished, and we have uh, just, in both cities, really great hosts and co-hosts and so many, so many great, uh, like, and like I said, like 50 to 60, somewhere in there, depending if you count the ticketing customer care team, You know, all these people were relying on us. Yeah. And and even in New York, we're doing great in New York, relatively speaking. And I don't have a show. to; I can't put a safe show back up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be opened up for. Look, even if we could open up a show right now, right? Even if you could do a show in New York, the question you have to ask is who's coming out, right? I mean, now your audiences tend to be younger and probably more, uh, you know, less risk averse, right? So they'll come out under most circumstances. But, uh, I mean, you know, with or Broadway, I mean, Broadway's audience tends to be older and no. how are they ever going to get back up? No. no,
5: they can't come back until after a vaccine is fully fleshed out.
1: Yeah. They
5: can't, they can't. you put, you can't put 3000 people in a room side by side with uh, sit for two a half, three, four hours sometimes with the same air circulating. It's just, you know, without a vaccine,
0: yeah. I mean, I think about it right now. I mean, I went to see Dear Evan Hansen in uh January. And then I went to see Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden like February 22nd. <laughs> I still got
5: to see Billy Joel. I still got to do it. I got to do it.
0: You've never seen Billy Joel? What kind of Long Islander oh, are you? it
5: was it, I thought he'd be playing forever. I've He's seen really
0: Billy Joel probably 20 times in my lifetime. Yeah,
5: it's amazing how 20 times you've seen the show and never had to take <laughs> That's what I'm taking
0: from this whole conversation. Well, you know, I mean, I had to bring my daughter. It was the first big It was the first big concert I brought my daughter to, and it was uh, two weeks before we locked everything down. And um, I think about it, I'm like, wow. I mean, thank God she got to see it, because I don't know that Billy Joel will ever play again uh, yeah, to a big crowd like that. I mean, you know, what's it going to be, two years before we have a big concert like that again? And will Billy Joel even be, I mean, Billy Joel was winding down as it was.
5: But, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, and that's the problem. It's like every day it gets worse in some places and even worse in others, and it's like, you know, the governor, if, I don't know who he was, somebody out there is banning the, you know, their, their local— Yeah,
0: Governor you know, Jack Kemp of Georgia is I mean, banning like, localities. He's in a fight with the mayor of Atlanta. I mean, this is a guy who basically stole an election to begin with, um, you know, saying, you know, I'm going to be Mr. Trump, and I'm not going to let anybody mandate masks. It's crazy. Insane. I don't think no, the I don't think the Republican Party wants this crisis to end. I just don't.
5: Well, I'm starting to see two Republican parties. I'm I'm starting to see because you know I'm active on Twitter. You know, on Facebook, Instagram. I don't TikTok. You know, you're not gonna hear any political stuff from me. But on my Twitter, that's where I kind of you know I, I like to voice my opinion. <laughs> whether they want it. I hear ya. <laughs> And, uh, you know, guys, the Project Lincoln, I know you recently had a Reed Gallon on.
0: I did. Reed Gallon was a great guest. I'm a big a big supporter of Project Lincoln. Me too.
5: They're doing such great work. And, you know, uh, Mitt Romney, bless his damn heart, I can't believe it. Yeah.
0: You know? I actually feel like i got to go to my office one of these days just to get the photo of me and Mitt Romney that I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I took a picture with Mitt Romney. Uh, not too long, not too long before he ran for Senate. I, I was at a, a luncheon and he was at, and we took a picture together. The big uh,
5: question I have is: So what happens? You know, because Project Lincoln isn't just going after Trump; they're going after Mitch; they're going after
0: it's Dinez, it's Cruz. you know. And I, I got to wrap up because I'm running out of time. But here's what I think: I think that the Republican Party doesn't exist anymore. I think that there is a Trump Party, and there are you know ten to fifteen percent of 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 people who are ideological conservatives who are center-right Republicans. They just have no place to go right now. And I don't know what happens next, but something... Party. Yeah, they're going to have to change. I mean, I think they're going to just not be... They're going to have to change. All right, Joe, I got like 20 seconds left with you. Where can people find you? What do you want people to know?
5: I want everybody to go to GetBotsu.com if you want to buy a card game that you can play in person or over Zoom with your friends. And I want them to go to Fold training if you need any help with your company in any kind of leadership management or
2: communication training
0: it's good stuff all right joe tex all right that's joe stick around
2: i got more to say Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you.
4: What do we have here, doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help Steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. Listen to the Car Pro Show on
2: iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. (laughs) CarPro.com
0: Back. So I, uh, I have been doing a lot of, I've always done conservative radio, let, let's be clear. I mean, my regular radio show is on a conservative market, but I've been doing it for seven years now there, so a lot of my listeners tend to be progressives, but I do get a lot of calls from conservatives. Not in the same way as I do when I've been filling in on WABC in New York since March it's very clear to me that people feel locked into their positions i had this conversation a couple days ago with a friend of mine i've been saying this before and i'll say it again i've said it on the show people you know they tweet something and now they think everybody in the world knows their position they can't change their mind i mean does that mean that the polling on trump is wrong in the opposite direction people who have said support for trump whether it on a radio show or on a podcast or just a tweet to their 50 or 100 friends, 1,000 friends even, does that mean that they're not willing to say that they will not vote for Trump, but when they get into the polling booth, that'll change? Look, I'm not one of these guys that believe that there's some secret Trump vote out there or some secret anti-Trump vote out there. I believe that these polls are pretty accurate, that people know who they are, say what they're going to vote, how they're going to vote. Now, look, the 2016 modeling was wrong because they modeled it after 2012 and there was a very different electorate when Obama wasn't on the ballot. Now, now they're modeling it after the 2016 electorate, which could be wrong the other way because quite frankly, a lot of people stayed home in 2016 that came out and voted in 2012, and you might have a a, a model, you might there might be an argument to have a 2012 model or a 2012-2016 hybrid model uh, for the 2020 election. I don't know. I don't want to get too deep and make you uh, turn this podcast off because you're bored. I mean, we're already 45 minutes in, and uh, hopefully you're still listening. I really do appreciate the support, man. Last week was another great week. Keep telling your friends. Uh, Next week, I've got the mooch coming back by popular demand. A lot of people... I don't really, I don't like to have people on too soon. The Mooch was on, I think, six months ago. He's on in March. And um, I'm having him back because a lot of people wrote me and said they loved the Mooch. So I got Anthony Scaramucci joining me next week. Uh, And uh, don't forget, download, subscribe, tell a friend, follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn. Um, I really appreciate the support you've been showing me. But there is some truth to the fact that people are locked into their positions just by the fact that there's social media out there and they're worried that they're going to look hypocritical if they change their mind about Trump. Look, um, it's okay. I'm on national television. I've given my opinion to millions of Americans for the last 10 years, and I change my mind all the time. I change my opinion all the time. I go on television and say I was wrong about things like the 2016 election, although I wasn't as wrong as some people. I never said there was no chance Trump could win. I just thought that the polling was better. It wasn't. And by the way, it wasn't the national polling that was wrong. It was the state-level polling. And even that wasn't that wrong. I read it wrong. The analysis was wrong. And quite frankly, up until election night, I always thought Trump had a chance to win. Then I read an exit poll at 6 o'clock on election night before I did a television appearance at like 8 o'clock. And uh, yeah, it looked like he was done. The exit polls were completely bonkers wrong. Well, Anything can happen this year. I got it. I get it. It's uh a hundred and uh between a hundred and six and a hundred uh four days to the election, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Maybe a hundred days to the election, maybe even eighty days, because I people will listen to these things for thirty days. I see new uh listeners to different episodes sometimes. But most of you're gonna listen to it between a hundred and a hundred and seven days between the election. Anything can happen, but man, the things that can happen are out of his control, right? I mean, usually you're you're hoping that your opponent makes a mistake. Biden makes lots of mistakes for sure. He's going to make mistakes or you hope you score a huge rating on your acceptance speech. I don't know how that's going to happen. This guy's crazy. His speeches are crazy. His speechwriter is an amateur. He's an amateur who's hostility towards people of color is very clear in everything he does. We're talking about Stephen Miller, just in case you didn't get the hint. I don't know how that's going to make him go over the top. You know, they talk about the debates. I want to just put this out there again. I know I've said it before on this podcast. I'll say it again. I don't think Donald Trump's going to debate. I think Donald Trump will find a reason not to debate. Who's going to host a debate that Donald Trump isn't going to say is fake, isn't going to say is a fake news journalist? Who? Who are they going to get? I mean, even Chris Wallace on the Fox News Sunday interview over the weekend, he was calling him fake news. This is a guy who works for Fox. So who's the president going to accept as a moderator for three debates? I'm sorry, Donald. Sean Hannity and Steve Ducey are not moderating the debates, okay? You're not getting away with that. The best you're going to get out of Fox would be Chris Wallace moderated debate. Okay, Shepard Smith is at CNBC. Maybe he'd moderate it. I don't think you would take that. I mean, it, it. a lot can happen between now and November, but a lot has to happen in the way of the virus going away and the way of the economy opening up. People are afraid to go back to restaurants. You're not going to see a major concert anytime soon. Sporting events are going to be held without Crowds. This country's not going to look the way Americans expect it to look between now and November. And if there's a state that's letting it look that way, they are taking a huge risk. I mean, Texas and Florida should be cautionary tales. They wanted to be, they wanted to compete with each other to see who could be the most Trumpian governor, who could open up their state the fastest, and now they have outbreaks. Florida is going to catch up to New York probably within the next two weeks in cases of COVID-19. Now, fortunately... People aren't dying as fast as they did early on because we've learned a lot of lessons over the last five months. But people are still dying. And deaths are happening in Florida and Texas and other red states. I say formally red states. I think Texas is a competitive state now. So we'll see. There's a long way to go. But not that long. And what has to change is really outside of his control because he's abdicated responsibility. And one more thing before I go. You know, the president was so keen to abdicate authority over COVID-19 response to the states. Oh, federalism. Let the states decide. But now we see him sending these stormtroopers into Portland and threatening to send them into other parts of the country. And I'm sure I'll talk more about this next week as this develops even more. But that's dangerous to me. You got guys in full camouflage, no badge. No name tag. We don't know what agency they represent. Pulling people off the streets into unmarked cars and taking them to God knows where. Now, this is the same president who believed in federalism during COVID-19. Didn't want to have a nationalized response. But God forbid there are some kids out there threatening statues. We've got to stop it right now. We've got to have a nationalized federal response to these kids threatening statues all over the country. Can you see how hypocritical that is? The President of the United States should not be sending unmarked stormtroopers into American cities without the permission of the mayors and governors that govern those localities, without the request from them to deal with protesters because oh my goodness, somebody might spray paint the statue. Meanwhile, this is the same guy, people are dying all over this country. Nah, eh, let the states decide what they want to do about opening up or masks and Guidelines and we don't want the CDC guidelines to to discourage states from opening up. There's a lot of there's a lot wrong with that. This is America. We should not have secret police storming protests and pulling kids off the streets into unmarked vehicles. If the governors want them there, great, but they better mark them up. Tell me what agency they represent. I mean, the ATF, ICE, this is not their job. I don't know where these troops are coming from, but this has got to stop. Congress should defund those agencies immediately. If this is going to keep on going, there should be a funding stop on them as they discuss budgets the next couple of weeks. I I don't want to see them getting funded until we know what's going on here, until there is a procedure to stop this. Because this is ridiculous. Un-American. It is how democracy dies. And we're watching it in real time. And now he's threatening to do it across this country. God help us all if he succeeds. All right. I want to remind you, as always, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening
1: to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.